Welcome to the first episode of Renal Europod. We are part of the Aberdeen University Renal and Urology Society. We have decided to create this podcast in order to educate and promote renal and urology as a medical and surgical speciality. This podcast is mainly targeted at healthcare students and medical professionals, but it is open to anyone with an interest in our topics. Our first episode will focus on paediatric urology and will be split into a two-part series. In today's episode, we will cover three key conditions in paediatric urology. We will start off with a simple case to see if you can guess which condition we will be talking about. A four-month-old presents at the GP practice today with a swollen scrotum. He is systemically well and in no pain. After examination, the GP notes that the swelling is soft and non-tender and you are able to palpate above the testicle. The left side transluminates when a light is passed through it. What is the most likely diagnosis? The correct answer is hydrocele. Well done if you guessed correctly. So let's talk a bit more about hydrocele's. What is a hydrocele? To put it simply, a hydrocele is a collection of fluid around the testicle. Serous fluid accumulates in a thin sheath known as the tunica vaginalis of the scrotum. There are actually two types of hydrocele's. Can you think of what they are? Is it communicating or non-communicating? Yes, that's correct. And there are slightly different causes for each type. During normal development, the testes develop in the abdomen and descend into the scrotum, usually before birth. The testes descend along the path of the processus vaginalis, which should obliterate. If the processus vaginalis doesn't completely close, fluid from the abdomen can gradually accumulate in the scrotum, causing a communicating hydrocele. This type of hydrocele is common in newborn males. The other type is non-communicating. This is simply where the tunica vaginalis produces excess serous fluid. So essentially, hydrocele's are a buildup of fluid in the testicle. There are two types, communicating and non-communicating. What, how would hydrocele's present? On testicular examination, the lump is soft, smooth and non-tender. When you hold the pen torch against the scrotum, the lump will transluminate with light to indicate that it is filled with fluid. What investigations can we do after an examination to confirm our suspected diagnosis? We can confirm hydrocele's with an ultrasound scan, which demonstrates simple fluid accumulated around the testicle. And once we have diagnosed this, what is the management? Most hydrocele's will spontaneously resolve by 12 months. Therefore, management includes observation initially and then surgical correction if they have not resolved by one year. This is because there is a significantly increased risk of complications. And what are these complications? If the processus vaginalis doesn't close at all, the large gap means that intestines can protrude through the processus vaginalis via the deep inguinal ring into the scrotum, causing an inguinal hernia. Now that we've covered the main facts on hydrocele's, let's summarise. A hydrocele is a collection of fluid around the testicle. They can either be communicating or non-communicating. Clinically, you will find a soft, non-tender lump which transilluminates with light and you can confirm the diagnosis with an ultrasound. Management is mainly conservative, but surgical correction is indicated if persistent or if complications such as hernias arise. Moving on to our next condition. Again, we will start off with a case presentation. You are a medical student attending your GP placement and you are assigned to your first patient of the morning. This is a telephone appointment with a first-time mother. She's concerned about her five-year-old son who's wetting the bed four times a week. He's continent during the day and is otherwise healthy. She's asking you if this is normal. How would you respond? 
So you explain to the mother that wetting the bed at night is common in young children as they learn to gain voluntary control of the bladder sphincters. It is considered normal until children are five years old. In medical terms, we call this nocturnal enuresis, which is more commonly known as bedwetting. Interestingly, nocturnal enuresis is more common in boys than girls. Most of you listening may have experienced it yourself when you were young. There are primary and secondary types. How do you differentiate between the two? Primary nocturnal enuresis is seen in children who have never achieved urinary continence overnight, whereas secondary nocturnal enuresis is seen in children who have previously achieved urinary continence overnight. So in other words, children wet their beds every night in primary nocturnal enuresis, whereas in secondary nocturnal enuresis they have previously had dry nights but are now wetting the bed. Yes, exactly. Note that secondary nocturnal enuresis is very common in children who experience psychological distress. In terms of physical causes, the main ones are diabetes mellitus, urinary tract infections and constipation, which causes enuresis due to bladder compression. So, how do we investigate for nocturnal enuresis? Firstly, a detailed history, examination and a urine dip should always be performed. Secondary nocturnal enuresis requires more in-depth investigation to ensure there is no underlying physical cause, with a urine dip, urine osmolarity and renal ultrasound scan. Once you get the diagnosis, how do you go about managing this condition? The management of nocturnal enuresis depends on the underlying cause. It is often important to counsel the parents that bedwetting is very common and that the child should not be blamed in any way. Star charts are a useful initial conservative approach to reward good habits that reduce the chance of bedwetting. The first line treatment is generally a nocturesis alarm, a device that detects water in the underwear and activates an alarm. This alerts the child that they need to wake up and go to the bathroom. Alarms are generally very effective in training children. If the nocturesis alarm doesn't work, what would the next line of treatment be? If the alarm has failed or rapid control is needed, children who are over 7 years old can trial desmopressin, which is a synthetic ADH. This drug works by increasing water reabsorption and reduces urine production overnight. So let's summarise before we move on to the final topic. Nocturnal enuresis, or bedwetting, is very common in young children. This can be split into either primary or secondary types. It can be caused by both physical causes, such as diabetes and infection, and psychological causes. Management should target the underlying cause. The first-line treatment is usually a nocturesis alarm to help train the bladder. Moving on to our final topic of this episode, again we will start off with a case. You are currently working as an A&E trainee. You come across a concerned father bringing in his 14-year-old boy. He is screaming in pain and pointing to his groin region. This pain started around half an hour ago. What diagnosis are you worried about in this young boy's case and want to rule out immediately? This could be testicular torsion, which requires prompt examination. What is testicular torsion? So torsion means a twisting action. So testicular torsion essentially means twisting of the testes. This occurs when tissues around the testicle are not attached well, causing the testes to twist around the spermatic cord. When this occurs, it cuts off the blood supply to the testicle. So what would the typical findings be upon a testicular torsion examination? You should note a tender, swollen right testicle as well as an absent chromasteric reflex, which is when stroking the skin of the inner thigh of a male causes the chromaster muscle to contract and pull up. Friend's sign is negative, which means there is no pain relief on elevation of the testicle. If the boy in our case had these following findings, what would be the first thing you would do to manage him? 
This is classed as an emergency. You can do some bedside tests, such as a urinalysis, and sometimes we can perform a testicular ultrasound. However, it is important that investigations and Im imaging do not delay surgical exploration for a suspected testicular torsion. So in other words, if you have a high index of suspicion, you need to take your patient straight to theatre and you would skip the bedside test and ultrasound? Correct. It's the only way to confirm the diagnosis, treat the torsion and prevent ischemic damage. Exploration, correction of torsion and testicular fixation on both sides should be the main treatment in order to prevent further episodes. Aim to operate within four hours of symptoms onset, as torsion for greater than this period can lead to irreversible damage and death of the testicular tissue. And why is it considered an emergency? If testicular torsion is not treated immediately, it can lead to damage to or death of a testicle due to the lack of blood supply. The necrotic testicle must be surgically removed. Possible future complications include infertility. Okay, so let's summarise testicular torsion. Testicular torsion is a paediatric urologic emergency. The testes can twist around the spermatic cord and eventually cause tissue ischemia and necrosis if left untreated. Diagnosis is based on clinical symptoms and signs. The mainstay of management is surgical exploration to correct the torsion and testicular fixation within four hours of onset. That brings us to the end of our first episode in part one of our paediatric urology series. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you in part two. Thank you.